welcome to the How the Deal Was Done podcast. This show will feature fast-paced interviews with top sellers. We will hear the hard-earned stories, the challenges, and the learnings they picked up from their biggest and most memorable deals. We hope this podcast will give you a bit of inspiration and understanding for how big deals get done, deals that positively impact your customers, your company, and level up your career as a seller. Let's get started. Welcome to How the Deal Was Done. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Ian Koniak. Ian and I met a few months ago at Scott Ingram's Sales Success Summit in Austin. Ian was one of the keynote speakers, and if he can bottle up one-tenth of the, the impact and excitement that he delivered from his opening keynote talk at the Sales Success Summit, then I'm sure this is going to be a really great episode. So, Ian, welcome. Thanks for having me. It was great seeing you again. Thanks, Ian. Well, uh, well, why don't you give the audience, I'm sure some of the audience is going to know you, but in case they don't, why don't you give us some background on yourself and then we'll, we'll dig into the deal. Oh, I, um, I run a coaching business right now. I'm, I'm the founder and CEO of Untap Your Sales Potential, which we're on track to be a Inc. 5000 company in our third year. So it's really, really exciting. Um, but before that, I spent 20 years in, in sales, uh, B2B sales. I started with 10 years in copiers and then spent the second half of my B2B sales career at Salesforce. So I worked for two companies over 20 years. I was in the enterprise space of Salesforce for nine years and really kind of transitioned from more of a transactional seller to an enterprise seller. And I had to learn the hard way on how to do that. And I had a lot of failure before I ended up becoming the number one enterprise account executive globally at Salesforce. And then I did that four years in a row where I was one of the top sellers and was able to make club four years in a row and got to retire at 42 years old and pursue my coaching business full time, which was really a dream come true. That's great. We won't necessarily cover it in this episode, but I'm sure you have some content on helping sellers make that transition from transactional to enterprise. Most people will probably want to do it, but uh, it's easier said than done and to learn from someone like yourself who has done that journey. Yeah, I've lived it and it really is a different motion entirely. So that's that's part of the reason why I coach is I know the frustration of being a failed enter, failed enterprise seller and I know what it takes to get to the top of that game and it's a totally different set of skills and it's a totally different motion. So that's what I teach people how to do now. It's a core part of the program. That's great. So so Ian, why don't you uh set up the this deal for us and we'll we'll dive into the details. Yeah. So the deal we're going to talk about today is uh, called Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. I'm sure everyone who's listening has heard of Berkshire Hathaway. They're one of the world's largest uh, conglomerates, but they have a real estate division, which is responsible for uh, real estate, both commercially and in in the home space. So, you know, think of Remax or Cobalt Bank or any of these big realty companies. Berkshire Hathaway has over 50,000 um, agents. I think they're probably closer to 60,000 now. But I sold every one of their 50,000 agents a license of Salesforce and largest deal of my career. And uh, that's what we can dive into. Okay. So for anyone who has the calculator at home, you can do a little bit of math there, a little bit of mental math. I'm sure Ian will we'll talk about maybe not the exact amounts, but uh, set up some of the, the, the rough estimate of, of the size of, of that transaction. That is, that is massive. That's bigger than most towns and, and small cities. So that, that's a big deal. Yeah. Why don't you talk about how how it got started, and then we'll we'll hear about some of the challenges. Yeah, so the deal, um, just to give some context, they were considered a new logo. So um, for anyone who has done pretty large deals, I think the common denominator is a lot of these companies are not 
necessarily using your product or service, you know, to its full capacity or they're not using it at all. And um, that was the case with Berkshire Hathaway. Salesforce has 100% of the market. They have 100% market share in the Fortune 500. There is not a single company that does not own Salesforce in the Fortune 500 company because you have to remember that um, Salesforce owns Slack and Tableau and MuleSoft and you know CRM. So there's always a pocket somewhere within these huge global companies like Berkshire Hathaway of Salesforce. And that's really what the case was for, for us. There was a very small park pocket of Salesforce that were using um, using us for, I think their spend was maybe 25,000 a year, which is considered a new logo for a company that size. So they were part of the new logo group I was targeting. Initially, I got into the deal because, you know, it was it was a strategic account for me. It was a very underutilized account. I saw there was a lot of white space and I decided I was going to attack it. Um, I just inherited the account. Um, it was a new, new territories, you know, and, and no one had any, any success in that account before. So um, initially I, you know, met with, met with the, the, the initial Salesforce admin who was, you know, very, very low level in the organization. And they said, Hey, you should talk to IT. They're doing a project right now. And there's a, you know, there's an RFP that you guys should bid on. Right. And I said, okay, great. So I, I go to talk to IT and I learned that the initial project they were looking at, we were at the IT manager and the purchasing manager were leading the, these two projects. and. The reason I chose this account is because it's just a phenomenal example of why you can't be in IT or you can't be in purchasing because that's not where strategic transformational decisions are made. Um, but that's where I started. And so here's what happened and, and here's how it evolved into the big deal. Initially, there was an RFP for an app and it was called the Awards app. And the Awards app was an app that they were going to use to determine who their top um, real estate agents were at the end of the year so they could award their President's Club trip. I think everybody listening to this can resonate, right? So most companies have a leaderboard that you know how you're tracking, you know if you're on track to make club. Usually there's a, you know, some type of visibility of how you're doing. But with real estate agents, these are all 1099 employees. So they didn't give visibility because these are all independent brokers, right? So there was no way. So their idea was to take this old on-premise app, which ultimately was a database of transactional sales data, and move it over to a more modern system. And so they put out a bid and we responded to it. And we were told we were three times more expensive than the nearest competitor and that we had lost the bid. So that's kind of how it started. The app itself, we were bidding, I think it was $180,000 is what we put a bid for. And they, the feedback was all your competitors are at 60 to 70 K. So that's kind of where we started. Wow. Okay. So there was a project and it was a, a small niche or solving a small use case of the, the leaderboard for, for thousands of, of contractors. You responded to the RFP and you were way too expensive. What did you do next? Yeah. So the reason we were more expensive is because we took a different approach to the RFP. What we did is you said, right now, the way you wrote the RFP is that you are reporting the news. You are essentially asking for a database that's just a more higher performance database, right? Where you can report the news after the fact. And that's what they were doing. They were using this to kind of collect data and they would report back to, you know, to the leadership to say, here are the winners. Here's the top percentage. What we said is this is wrong. If you want to actually inspire your employees, you need to actually 
create the news versus report the news. So we took a different point of view and we said, you need a leaderboard. It was not a leaderboard. It was something that they were asking for a database. We said, you need a leaderboard. You need to give visibility to the salespeople so that they can see how they're trending. You need to nudge them and give them um, notifications and tell them how they're progressing. You should have trends so you can let the managers coach and see you know, if people are um, trending positive or trending negative. And most importantly, you need to make this thing mobile. You need to give them visibility via a mobile app where they can see their status and what they need to do to hit, to hit President's Club because that's going to inspire and motivate. So that was our position in the RFP. And what do you think, Andrew, IT and purchasing said when I told them to do it differently than what they uh, initially had had uh, requested? I think they would have said, thank you, but no thank you. This is not our requirements. Yeah, they said, go pound sand. This is not what we want. If you want to win, you need to lower your price and get rid of all these nice to have things. And so at that point, I said, and I encourage anyone who's listening to, to follow this exact playbook. I said, you guys are not actually serving your company. You guys, the way you're doing it is actually hurting your company. And I didn't tell them that to them, of course, because you can't tell people they're wrong and they're just doing bad service. But that's what I was thinking. Okay. And that's really the mindset that led me to, you know, to close huge deals over and over again um, after, you know, I, I initially failed was that I work for the company. And if I'm the CEO of the company, then I need to make sure I'm positioning and helping them achieve their goals. And so what I did there is I learned what their top goals are. Their goals, one of their top four goals was to increase per person productivity or what they called PPP, right? That was one of their top four goals. And so I went to their head of sales, essentially, um, who was responsible for growing and expanding their franchisees. And I said, hey, you guys asked us to bid on our RFP. And we did. And if you guys do it the way that you're purchasing an IT is requesting, you are going not only to inspire, to not inspire employees, but you're going to lose employees because employees or, or real estate agents are motivated by money and recognition. And this is one of the two. Recognition is there's no recognition until the end of the year. How about giving them recognition throughout the year? And your IT and your purchasing did not see the value in this. And before I part ways and say, you know, uh, we lost, I wanted to get this in front of you and get your thoughts and opinions on the approach we're taking. Are we off here? Are we totally off? And the guy's name was uh, Chris Stewart. And Chris Stewart was the VP of operations, sales operations at the time. And he, um, or franchise operations, I guess. And he said, Ian, you're not off. In fact, um, you're onto something really big. Our IT and purchasing is operating this way for every single project. In fact, this is one of 60 projects that we have. And of these projects, only three have been delivered on time and under budget. The others just stall and stall. We don't have a problem with the awards app. We have a problem with innovation. The way that we're being run right now is actually costing our company hundreds of millions of dollars. And if we don't get our act together, we are going to be out of business. Wow. So you uncovered a, an iceberg, something that didn't sit right with you with the RFP. And you said, this doesn't smell right. I'm, I'm working for Salesforce, a world-class sales organization. And this is not the way to set up sellers and, and revenue organizations for success. You, you found a stakeholder 
that that I would resonate with, and and then you uncovered the iceberg. So, or what's below the what's below the surface? What did you do from there? Yeah. So from from there, the next step was obviously tell me more. <laughs> tell me about these projects. Tell me about why you're you're at risk. And so he proceeded to share that the real estate market had been going through a massive disruption, and specifically. This deal was done in 2017. So it was about six or seven years ago from when people are listening to this. And at the time, there was a company called Compass who had just been funded by SoftBank. And Compass Realty was going and buying up a bunch of realtors and basically buying up the business. They had a huge amount of funding. They said, Compass is buying and basically pulling our agents, recruiting heavily. We're losing top agents. And the perception that we keep hearing is that we're not innovative in that Compass has a technology-first platform where they're enabling agents to just focus on selling and giving them all the tools and training they need to be successful. And we are just seen as laggards in the industry and people are leaving to go to Compass. Not only that, but the two largest apps in the world for consumer real estate, Zillow and Redfin, are now actually entering into the agent space. And they're now offering lower commissions. And if we don't actually compete with you know, better technology, better enablement, better training, we are going to lose our agents and we are going to lose basically our company and go the way of BlackBerry and Kodak and starts kind of talking about that he was brought in to, you know, he wants to drive change. And, And so I said, great, we can help, right? And so what he then proceeded to tell me is the problem we're not innovating is because we're building everything ourselves. Our IT department is building everything on .NET. They're building everything on premise. We have a huge bloated IT department and they can't keep up with the pace of innovation. And what we need is to move to cloud so we can deliver applications faster and be the app store for our real estate agents. We want to be able to deploy apps on a central platform. He didn't necessarily spit all this out. I kind of shared the idea of like, wouldn't you like to be able to quickly deploy apps? And essentially what I, the reason I was able to to expose this bigger problem is because I went with him with the pitch for the awards app and said, there's collaboration embedded, there's leaderboards embedded, there's analytics, it's mobile. And by the way, you can build and deploy tons of apps much faster because now you have the Salesforce platform, which was a, not just an app, a software as a service, but a platform as a service. So platform as a service is a platform that enables you to build apps using clicks, not code. So think of like ServiceNow or Force.com or even AWS in in some capacities. Think of Power Apps and Microsoft. So it's this idea that companies can deploy off-the-shelf apps or build apps on platform very quickly. And that was the message I took him. It's like, yeah, you're paying more, but you're getting a platform that you can use. And that's when he opened up and said, hey, actually, we have this much bigger problem. We have 60 apps that we're trying to build. And you know, it's taken us years and we were slow to innovate. And the problem is that we're trying to build everything ourselves. We are a real estate company. We are not a technology company. We need a platform. And so that was the start of the platform deal that I sold. I didn't sell a CRM deal. I sold a platform deal where they launched their intranet. They launched awards. They launched the recruiting app. They launched CRM. They launched all these apps on essentially their, their company intranet, which became an app delivery vehicle in a mobile app that they can get all access to all of their innovation that, that the company was doing and be able to deploy much faster. Actually, this story is on Dreamforce as well. They, you know, we have the CEO spoke live. If you guys want to dive in, Chris Stewart went and talked about their journey. But that was kind of the start. Is, you know, he, he and I kind of 
co-created this vision of what was possible with the combination of education and art of the possible. And that was really just the first step of the sale. There was a lot more that came after that, but the first step was finding the change agent and getting somebody who was willing to stick their neck out there and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm willing to bet my job, my ass, put it on the line to, to do this. Cause I believe that it's going to save the company. And so I attached the hip to him. Well, it turns out this guy ended up being promoted to COO and then CEO because he had the vision. So now he was a CEO and then he went to another company and raised a huge amount from Goldman Sachs. And, and so this, this guy's a, just a baller and an incredible friend as well. And, and again, he had the vision. And, and so the next step in the, in the sale was, okay, Ian, I, I get it, but I don't want to come too hard at my organization. They're slow. There's a lot of change. We need to go slow and kind of ease them into it. And so his plan was to launch the idea of becoming an application company or a, or a technology-led company at his next town hall. And he asked us for help in preparing the messaging and the deck for that town hall. And so I brought in the Salesforce innovation team. If you work for a company like Salesforce or Oracle or any of these big companies, the, the advantage of working for a large company is they have these resources that are just like ninjas. And so we had a group of consultants that for our enterprise accounts, they're made up of former McKinsey and Bain and Deloitte and really large SIs and consulting companies who come in here just to help organizations, large enterprises drive change and have the right approach to drive change using design thinking. Okay. And so um, the first step was I brought in my partner from the Ignite team, which Ignite is all about large digital transformation initiatives to help companies prepare and execute those. And I said, Noah, uh, the guy's name was Noah Flower. I said, Noah, now I, I, I got a company who really wants to drive innovation. I got a big visionary executive, but he needs some help, you know, painting this picture. And so I brought in Noah and then Noah actually worked hand in hand with this, with Chris to be able to create a deck. And we removed all the Salesforce branding from the deck. We got made it, put it on their template. And it was all about why they needed to change because they were getting steamrolled by some of these disruptors. And that was the first sale is getting everyone on board to be able to commit to the idea of change. Salesforce was not mentioned once. It was all about selling the idea of change and selling this direction of moving from a build it to a essentially a buy it shop. And that all hands call was delivered to their entire company and it was received extremely well. And at that point, then he said, okay, now we can actually engage in an evaluation and we have to look at your competitors and kind of that's where the next phase of the sales cycle went. This podcast is sponsored by OrgChart Hub, helping HubSpot customers get the big deals done since 2018. You can find more about them in the show notes or visit orgcharthub.com slash podcast. So, so you nailed down the why change. Can you talk a little bit about why now? And so why now was they were losing agents. They were losing market share. Zillow was encroaching on their space. If they didn't move quickly, they would be in a- To drive the sense of urgency. Yeah. yeah. That, there was built-in urgency because of market forces that were happening. That, that was yeah. exactly the why. The why now was the strongest point. They, 
he said to me, if we don't change right now, we are going to lose. We literally mapped out the pace at which they were losing agents and we accelerated that, what that pace would look like. And he said, and, we, and then we mapped it, the revenue impact of the agents. And it was like, the cost of inaction was millions per month. So it was like, that's always what I do is I map out cost of delay. And, and no one does this stuff. Unfortunately, it's kind of sad, but people don't have these real conversations and they don't, no one teaches these skills to do. And that's why my program exists is because unfortunately companies don't teach this, but for everybody listening, it's really important to map out what happens if you do nothing. What is it costing you every single month if you delay making a change and then quantifying that with actual metrics based on what they care about. In this case, it was attrition and, and it was per person production that based on what they were leaving. So we, 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 we mapped that out and it was, it was very obvious. And, and I honestly had someone who just knew that he didn't even need to tell that story because the writing was on the wall. They were losing agents. People were complaining about their lack of innovation. They were unhappy with the service. I mean, it was very, it was a glaring problem. The key is that I brought that Salesforce as a potential solution versus what they had said, hey, build us this app, one of 60. A rewards app that's going to get delayed. It's not going to make the impact. Wow. So that, that's, that's a great setup. The why change, why now? And then you had the why us. You, you were wiring this thing with your team of strategy consultants from the McKinsey's and the, the big four, giving the, the vision and, and giving the talk track that resonated well. Was there serious competition? Were they a Microsoft shop that like, did you run into any, any big? They were using Microsoft Dynamic. Um, they had to, you know, get three bids because it was uh, Berkshire Hathaway and they're very budget conscious. But um, because of the way that we approached the sales cycle, which I'll get into, because again, this was just step one of nine steps for the sales cycle. So step one was getting them to say, yes, we want to change, right? Um, then there was a whole process after that that we followed. But at that point, he said, Ian, you know, you can't just say we're only going to look at Salesforce. It doesn't work that way. So we'll bring in other competitors. But because we actually scoped out and not, it wasn't even an RFP at that point because there was no RFP. It was a, more like they got all the requirements that they needed for a platform. And because we were first in and we told them what they needed, applications company could, could not compete because Microsoft, they were not happy with because it was on-premise and there was a lot of on.NET development. That was kind of what they wanted to move off. The other competitor, Pegasystems, didn't have the platform as a service where you can build apps. Another person didn't have the service component. Another one didn't have the actual intranet, right? So they had all of these kind of point solutions, but because we were positioning a platform, application development capacity, plus the ability to deploy pre-built apps, such as sales cloud, service cloud, and, and marketing cloud on top of that platform, there was no competition. So when you can write the actual requirements based on what your company and only your company can do, competition ceases to exist. Nice. They went through the motion and they said, these companies don't meet our requirements. It was that simple. There was, yeah, yeah, but they still invited them in, right? And Pega said, we can't do this. What you want, they can't do. Microsoft said, we can't do this. Because you wired it. You, you got in before and you, you wired the, the requirements and the vision that based on the differentiators. You know, again, once this town hall happened, then, then I basically um, kind of cut it, cut it somewhat short. At that point, I said, let's do a full Ignite. So we helped them with the deck, and then we brought in the Ignite team. So the Ignite team consisted of seven people, right? There was a design think thinker, Ignite lead. There was a, um, a business strategist. 
there was a lead architect, there was a business value person, there were two designers, and then there was a customer experience process mapper. <laughs> now, I know that sounds crazy, but like literally this Ignite, they ran the show. So again, when you work for these companies that have these resources, your job is to sell the vision. What I did really well is I got to executives and I sold the vision of Ignite and why they need to do an Ignite. So the Ignite process was to run these workshops. So it started with a workshop where we got their entire executive suite, everyone, director, VP, and C-level to a room for a half-day workshop. We got everyone mapping out on whiteboards, on sticky notes, what their vision of what they wanted for the future was. It was called a V2 workshop, V2 mom workshop, which stands for vision, values, metrics, obstacles, and measures. So what's their vision? What are their key values? What are their metrics they're trying to achieve? What are their obstacles? And what are their key measures that they're going to take to achieve that vision and, and hit those metrics? So by doing that, we got really close insight into what they're trying to do as an organization. We opened it up. We had their CEO come in and basically talk about what they're trying to do and why there's a problem. And we actually, before that meeting, we the best part of this deal is we got the Ignite team, because they agreed to do this, they said, in order for us to do an Ignite and make this kind of investment, because the Ignite was free. It was something we do as a strategic investment for clients in exchange for them considering our solutions. And so the Ignite team, Noah came in and says, I can't do this unless I have one-on-one -on -one meetings with every level of your C-suite. I said, what? He's like, yep, that's our prerequisite. So he got a meeting one-on-one -on -one with the CEO, CFO, COO, CRO, chief people officer, entire C-suite at Berkshire Hathaway. And that was where all the sale was made. They, these guys literally opened up one-on-one, -on -one, talked about their challenges. And once the CFO said, I feel like our IT department is costing us a huge amount and actually delivering very little value, that was when I knew that we had a, we had a really, really good, good qualified deal because that was the CFO was deeply involved in this deal. And the guy's name was Brian and he was uh, in his controller. I was kind of working with hand in hand to do the business case, but we got access to the entire C-suite before this workshop. Then we did a half-day workshop. Then they sponsored us to go fly around the country over the next two months and meet with their brokers, their agents, their real estate, different arms and divisions to kind of get a voice of the broker and the agent. And then we spent two days on site with them mapping out what the future would look like and doing this process mapping and kind of prioritizing all these ideas and getting them down to three core ideas that they wanted to deliver on. Once we finally did that, then we came back and said, here's how Salesforce is going to actually enable you. And so we wrapped and wrote and built this really powerful customized demo based on showing them exactly what they asked for. So of course there was no competition. That whole process started in April when I got the account and it closed in mid-September, six months. That deal alone was worth more than 200% of my quota. That year, I finished nearly 400% of plan. And people say, well, I mean, it was one of the shortest eight-figure deals in Salesforce history. It was the second largest new logo of the year that year. But it was all in. That's all I was working on the whole six months. I knew that I was on site. They gave me a badge. And I was on site in their offices three days a week working with legal, working with IT, working with finance, working with business value, working with project management. They were all in. And it was just it was just the most well-run and executed deal that I've ever done in my career. 
And that's actually what my SVP told me too. He said, I've never in 30 years of enterprise selling seen a deal that was run this way. And it was because we had great executive sponsorship. It was because we slowed down to speed up. We slowed down. We did it the right way. And the biggest thing is because I brought in the right folks. I brought in the Ignite team and again, Noah Flower and my engineer and DeBraj. So it was, it was the team. So the three core people on, <clears throat> on the team, one was Noah Flower, who was doing these kind of facilitating these workshops and these discovery sessions. And he, he's just a consultant. He didn't, wasn't attached to the, the solution. It was all about driving the change and doing it right and really focusing on change management. That was the first person. The second was Mark O'Leary and Mark was my engineer and he literally built the most compelling demo that combined eight Salesforce clouds. It was eight clouds. We had sales cloud, service cloud, marketing cloud, analytics, wave. We had AI, we had Einstein. It was everyone, but he had to manage all these different technical resources from all these different co-primes or subsidiary type companies because Salesforce is, is that conglomerate. I was the core account executive managing the whole, the whole portfolio, but all these different products didn't necessarily work together perfectly. So we had to orchestrate a vision to show how everything's going to work together in one unified platform, which is really a lot to, to get into a demo. But when we did the demo, it, was, it hit the home run because it showed all these you know, different use cases. So Mark O'Leary was incredible. And then the third person, there's a lot more than three, but the third was DeBraj. DeBraj was our business value um, services person. And he was mapped to their controller and literally working on a deck that this had to go to their board, obviously. It was an eight-figure deal. And he was working on the business case, getting all the data from the controller. I mean, imagine having a CFO feed you all the data that you need to build the business case and then coach you and make sure it's their conservative numbers that they can justify to the board. And then we did a whole coaching session around helping them get ready to present to the board with their CEO in their, um, their head of operations. So it was a massive undertaking, but it wasn't us trying to sell them. It was us trying to help them sell up into their parent company because they were on board. They were, they knew they had to change and we were the right partner because we had invested so much in understanding their business and crafting a solution that was uniquely positioned and designed for exactly what they wanted based on all the discovery we had done. So it was, it was just a really special, special time. And I remember getting that deal signed. Interestingly, the deal got signed the day we did the demo. We showed the demo and the vision to everyone and they had already signed the paperwork. They, they, they signed the paperwork. So you, you throw out all the, you, you throw out everything you see on LinkedIn about when to demo, right? <laughs> you, you talk about when to demo is. The sale was made that town hall. The sale was made when they agreed to give us access to their C-suite. The sale was made when we got to travel around the country. I mean, it, they were so invested in the process. That's why I say always sell the discovery process. Don't sell the, the solution. My, after that deal, I mean, kind of got a taste of what, what was possible. And then I started just trying to pitch Ignite. And that's what I did every year after. Let's get Ignite. Let's get Ignite. Let's get Ignite. Because I knew once they agreed to that, we would get access to the C-suite. We would find out their pressing problems. We would do design workshops. Um, there's a guy, Brandon Fluharty, who does a lot of this design thinking. And he ran these workshops at his company. Um, and he crushed it. He made seven figures, I think, three or four years in a row at Live Person. Great, great person for you to have on the show. But yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a nice testimonial. I'll have to uh, reach out yeah, to him he, for sure. he's phenomenal. So is Jamal Raymer. So uh, again, the, the, the way these deals are done, are, it's always at the executive level. It's always with big problems. And that's, the, that's where the sale is made, is getting to the executive, getting them to sponsor, and then having them bring in an, 
in multi-threaded. I mean, this deal was multi-threaded with at least 25 people. And, and it just was there. Every director, every VP, every C-suite in the company. We, we took a huge, huge room at, at the Hilton or whatever the hotel was that was near them. I don't even remember the name. But we, we basically took two days and we had their whole entire executives pulled out to be able to participate. That's how important this was to them to do it right. So, of course, they were going to do business with us after putting so much time and effort and energy into sharing and opening up their doors. So I say, I always say sell the discovery process so that you can actually get access. And, and I, when I coach my clients, I have every one of them map out a discovery process of what good discovery looks like. And it's shadowing the execs, it's shadowing the users, it's understanding their process and mapping out the process from start to finish. It's looking at the vision, what they want. It's looking at the business case and what the metrics are that are impacted by the problems that you're trying to solve. It's a whole process. So if you can get them to agree to kind of open up their doors and give you what you need in discovery, most of the time, not most of the time, 100% of the time, you can craft a solution that's exactly tailored to where they're struggling and what they're trying to accomplish. And if you have that level of access, they're not going to give it to their competitors. They're not going to go through that with three people. It's just too, it's just too much effort and time. To do that, imagine yeah. doing two-day workshops with three companies. It's yeah, like we were. It'd be exhausting. It would not get any work done. So that was our process, and the other people were just doing their normal discovery. Let's meet with your people. Let's ask them some questions. They weren't flying around the country. They weren't running design thinking workshops. So that was like, how do you differentiate during the sales process to give them an incredible experience, an incredible buying experience? And that—that's really again where the sale is made. It's not the company you work for. It's how you actually run. Because I was at Salesforce many years before and wasn't having success until I really started changing my approach and being more consultative with how I, you know, how I did discovery and kind of pre-sales stuff. That's great. You're speaking right to me as a as a consultant. So I, I really uh, love love what you laid out. I want to ask one last question, Ian, to to close this out. Circling back to the transactional sellers who want to get to toward that enterprise level, develop that experience and skill set. How would you make that transition going into 2024? I would tell them, every one of them, without a drop of hesitation to invest in themselves and work with me or work with Jamal or work with someone. Because if you try to do it on your own, it'll take you years. That's the truth. It's, it's, that's what I try to do. And I miss quota three years in a row. Invest in yourself. If you're going to enterprise, right, and, and you've been a transactional seller and you're literally going from an OTE of like 150 to 250 or 300 and people are making north of five in your company, you cannot afford not to get help, not to get coaching, not to get mentorship. Because I can tell you, oh, you need to do this. You need to multi-thread. You need to do a point of view. Not, you need to get to executives. You need to um, learn how to do a business. You know how much, that's like getting an MBA. And it would take you years and years of figuring it out on your own. I would just say fast track it. Work with an executive um coach that can actually help you to learn the skills you need. And again, I'm not the only one in town. There's other people that that do this, but that was where I actually accelerated my success. I misquoted three years in a row, trying to do it on my own, reading books like the Challenger Sale, trying to talk to you know my manager, and I just wasn't getting it until I actually invested in myself, hired a coach, joined a mastermind, and really started um, modeling the behaviors that that I needed to embody to be successful. So that's that's what I would tell people is I would say, don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to read books, right? Go and actually invest in yourself. Take my my course or work with uh, someone like Jamal or um, Brandon, but people who've done the job at that enterprise level, sold huge deals, model what they've done because 
that's the fastest path to success. And honestly, I've done that in my own business as well. And it's been amazing for me to accelerate, you know, our success by modeling what works. And I just feel like don't don't try it's it. It's a cheat code. It's a it's a cheat code. I can tell the excitement and the passion that you have and and looking to transfer that to others. That's it's great. not a pitch. I don't care if you work with me or not. Yeah. Go pay for getting help. It's like you you believe me, if you could have done it on your own, you would have been there. So I would just tell again, to give you real practical advice besides actually investing in coaching, you know, it, it less is more is, is probably the best advice. It's way better to spend time with like five or fewer accounts and really go deep to understand what are their biggest challenges, what are specifically their top goals and priorities, what can you do to help them achieve those goals, who are the key players who are are responsible for executing on those goals, what are they saying publicly, what are they saying privately, become a customer, right, And, and really try to understand what it's like to live in their shoes and be a customer. There's so much you can do, but more time upfront learning their business and understanding and creating a point of view that can help them achieve success versus you trying to sell your products and services is is the ultimate difference from transactional and strategic selling, right? If you can help them achieve their desired outcomes, your outcomes of hitting quota and making a lot of money are are going to follow suit. But when you're focused on what can you sell them, what can you, what product, what white space, what, like that's a very transactional type of view. And honestly, that's 95% of sellers, unfortunately. They're just trying to figure out how to hit quota and what they can sell. But really, if you want to, kind of cross that chasm and get to that next level. It's all about how can I help others be successful in their roles and really understanding what it is that they're trying to achieve. As you know, being a consultant, it's a totally different ballgame. And that's just not the way most SaaS you know, companies think and operate. They're just trying to sell their products. And you know, when you're a consultant, you don't have products. You're just attached to helping them succeed. And that's how you go about it. So treat, treat your business like a consultant and really try and figure out where and how you can help them and you know, let the products, you know, follow suit afterwards. Because that big pitch on the town hall, there wasn't a single thing about products mentioned. It was like, why do you need to change and become a platform company? Now, of course, if you're going to become a platform company, you need a platform technology to be able to enable that. So that naturally followed suit. Appreciate that. Well, we'll wrap it up there, Ian. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll link up to your your programs and, and your fast growing company and uh, get you connected for, for folks who want to reach out on LinkedIn. I appreciate a lot of the content that you've put out there. And uh, this was a, a great deal story. So thank you so much. Absolutely, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. I'm Andrew Capel. Thank you for tuning in to How the Deal Was Done podcast. Don't miss out on more inspiring stories from top sellers. Subscribe now to stay updated and motivated on your journey in sales.